0: Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com
1: Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, fishing, wildlife conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trijicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Taurus, award-winning pistols and revolvers. Mossberg, American built, American strong and the Red 55 Winery in Lindale, Texas. Signature wines of Grammy Award winning country artist Miranda Lambert and owned by Rick and Beverly Lambert. Before getting into today's episode, I have to tell you about the book that Luke Clayton and I recently had published. It's called Campfire Talk. I was very fortunate also to get Jim Zumbo, an old dear friend, to do the forward for us on this book. Now, the book itself is a compilation of about 41 chapters, if you will. Those chapters being stories that Luke and I've written in the past, and they involve a lot of things having to do with with such things as hunting hogs, hunting deer, hunting mule deer, bear, turkey, a lot of fishing on occasion as well, too, and of course, a lot of camp cooking. Luke is one of the finest camp cooks there is, so we would love for you to go to catfish.com, radio c-a-t-f-i-s-h-r-a-d-i-o dot o-r-g and there you can order the book in and, uh, and even learn a little bit more about it as well too now before too very be long and maybe even by the time that you actually get to hear this the book will also be available through amazon just go to amazon and type in larry Weissoon and luke clayton books and it should come up and um uh, so you can order it there as well. And then, too, I'm pretty sure by now probably Sporting Classic Books will be done selling the book for us as well, too. And in the very near future, once we get past some of the hunting seasons or maybe even during this coming hunting season that we're into, Luke and I will show up somewhere and and do some book signings, and, and you can get a copy directly from us. But would really love for you to have a look at this book. I think it's one that I, well, you know what, I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy reading it. Uh, it's a lot of good information, but it's told in a, in a very fun and entertaining way. So the name of the book, again, is Campfire Talk by Luke Clayton and Larry Weisson and we would love for you to have a copy of it. So please get in touch with us at catfishradio.org, and we'll get the book to you as soon as possible. Now on with today's show. Kydooking. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Millette, International Sportsman, you're just back from a fabulous trip to Africa. I want to hear all about it. Hey, thanks for having me on,
2: Larry. Um, yeah, you know i've been I've been trying to get to Africa for a while since, um, well, since about COVID time. <laughs> I mean, that wrecked a lot of people's plans. It did. Uh, um, so. Yeah, actually this was my first trip to Africa. How cool. And um, as I was telling everybody else, you can you can read all the stories and watch all the videos that you want, but until you go see it for yourself, there's nothing that really compares to it. Um, and I would recommend it to any hunter out there that you need to you need to go to africa it's more affordable than you think and it's more accessible than ever
1: Jeremy, you're exactly right. I, I, I went to Africa the very first time, let's see, 27, 28 years ago. And it was something I'd always wanted to do. And, and over the years as a writer, i would gotten invites to come to Africa. And I'd go talk to uh, some of the editors that I was dealing with with the different publications at the time. They go, oh, "Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. What are you going to do for us about <laughs> tailed deer or mule deer, but particularly white And So I kept putting it off, kept putting it off, always from, time I was a little bit of kid wanting to go and when I finally got to go we went to South Africa with uh, several different friends had an absolutely fantastic time and you know it it was one of those things well maybe I'll get it out of my system but uh, as it worked out before I even got on the plane to drive come back home I was planning on what I could do so that I could go back a second time and a third time and I was fortunate I went back many many times so that first trip though is just phenomenal where did you go?
2: So I actually went to, um, South Africa also for my, my first trip. Um, we were in Limpopo with RDB safaris. Um, my outfitter was Romano de beer and you know, he's a, he's a young pH with, Phenomenal genetics, um, you know. (laughs) He's brought in. Right. You know, it's 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 funny because like you talk to people and it's like, oh yeah, my outfitter is great. My outfitter is great. No one ever goes and says, you know. I mean, I I very very rarely hear people say my outfitter was terrible. (laughs) You know, everybody talks about how great their 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 outfitter and pH was. You know, so um, it was. You know, one of the things I just have to digress just a second here and kind of jump ahead is one of the things that that struck me while I was over in Africa was obviously they have different hunting, you know, traditions and right. cultures and everything than us. But um, I realized that one of the big differences, at least for me and my friends and what I've seen is that. Every time that you have a successful hunt in Africa, it's a big celebration. You know, it is a big, everybody's high fiving and enjoying it. And it's a, it's a big deal, you know, and I don't know about you, Larry, but over here, you know, I shoot, I shoot quite a few whitetails a year. And I, I mean, even with my kids and stuff, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Great. Well, Good. Snap one photo. OK, time to start cleaning it, get it processed. You know, now all the work begins, <laughs> you know. Right. And and it's it's less of a celebration and, and almost more of a chore um, sometimes, you know. Um, so it was it was just it struck me how how they celebrate and make you feel like, you know, you just climbed Mount Everest every time <laughs> you're successful. It was it was the best feeling in the world and and really, I mean, I know I'm going on about it, but I think that's one of the main reasons that people keep going back is for that experience, not just the phenomenal hunting, but but the celebration you know
1: you're exactly right and I, I wonder sometimes as, as you were talking I've, I've hunted in Europe and I know you've got some plans to go there too and, and, and very soon and in Europe too that the hunt is celebrated you know with the with the let's ambition, the, the breaking of the three evergreen branches dipped in blood one is which presented to the hunter one is which laid where wear the wound in, and one which is put in the mouth as the last little bit and then the one that's presented to the hunter you wear um, I can't remember the left or right side for a period of 24 hours to honor that animal, and to me that that sort of thing is something I think is, that we do lack is here in the states is that maybe appreciation or the as you mentioned the excitement and it's the, the excitement is real it, and it's an excitement not just from the PH it's excitement from everybody that's with you when you're hunting and that usually involves you know several different people as well too I mean they're all smiling and and congratulating and, and, uh, the animals properly taken care of. And to me, that that's a big part. You're right. And, and of course, also learning more about the cultures every time you go hunting as well too, is a big part of hunting. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's
2: funny because everybody, I think everybody that I've talked to before they went to Africa, they had this, this conception of what they thought Africa was or wasn't. Right. Right. Um, And that's why I say you can listen to everything and until you go, you really don't fully understand, you know, the, the trials of the outfitters and the pHs, the trackers, you know, the, what the, the everyday person in South Africa, for example, uh, has to deal with, has to experience, you know, you don't, you don't fully understand that. And once you go, um, you realize that it's much, much more complex than you could possibly imagine. Um, and you when you go, you really, really really, I already knew this, but it really struck home to me that without these pHs and without these outfitters and these, these places, these animals would completely be eradicated from South
1: Africa they without a doubt. Be there at all. Without a doubt, or most of Africa, quite frankly. And and you're right. Everybody there has a job in, in involved with the hunting, and they employ a considerable number of people. And I remember the first time when I went there, I'd always gutted my own animals. I'd always wanted to do a complete knee of the animals, see what they were eating, what the health was, what the bullet performance was, you know, all those kind of things. And the very first time I started to try to even gut or cape an animal, I was told, no, 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 you can't do that this so-and-so's job and it because of those jobs of the hunters it's amazing how involved those communities are because the fact now there's money now there's food and and all these things and and so very often that is really kind of i think overlooked by too many people yeah
2: and you know it's funny because you know the jobs and the money right because that's really Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's why these animals still exist, because, you know, they pay for themselves and they create these jobs and they create incomes for
1: people. Without a doubt. I
2: mean, like it or not, that's that's the facts. And in in this world, if it doesn't pay, unfortunately, it goes. Right. (laughs) You know. Yes. Um, So, you know, that's that's a, a big thing. And, you know, the corruption In these countries is something that that, I mean, I figured there would be some, but I just didn't realize how how big it was, you know. Um, And so when you look at organizations that donate food or donate supplies or donate money, uh, you see that it's not really reaching the people. And so, you know, a lot of these outfitters and PHs, I mean, I can speak for Romano specifically, um, is that he takes and hand delivers donations of meat to a local orphanage. Yes. Just to make sure that it's going to the people that actually need it. And he's also providing a service to the community because protein is hard to get in Africa, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
1: It, it, it really is. And it, you bring home some very interesting points there. And you and I are both very much involved with uh, Dallas Farquhar Club with DSC. And, of course, I'm just coming off of being a director on the board of directors of uh, the DSC Foundation and still serving as advisor there. And we do grant a considerable amount of money, uh, not only in Africa, but here in North America as well, too. But one of the things, just as you mentioned, though, the money that we grant goes to that individual such as what you're, you just described, who is going to make certain that that money is properly used, rather than being given to a governmental entity, if you will, where unfortunately, so very often, some of that, uh, uh, yeah, this money goes here, this money goes here, and if there's any left, we'll use it. You know what the purpose was for it to start with. So that's one of the great things I think about DSC and DSC Foundation as well. And you kind of opened the door for that just a moment ago.
2: Yeah. And you know, that's, that's what really struck home to me too, about, you know, the role that DSC plays, um, in those countries, because of course my outfitter is, is a member of, oh, yes. of DSC. Um, and is, he said, as soon as, as soon as he found out about DSC and got his pH license, that's the first thing he did was become a member, right? Because he recognized that, you know, DSC actually puts their money where their mouth is. And they're the (laughs) ones, you know, that are providing a lot, a lot of resources to keep, to keep this going. Right. So, um, you know, but yeah, you know, that's the number one question that I got was from, from my friends and stuff that had no clue about Africa. Well, where does all the meat go? And I said, well, you know, my outfitter, donates a large portion of it to to an orphanage, right? And, you know, they're like, wow, right? And I have to kind of explain the whole thing, just just like what we talked about, the, the levels of corruption and, and whatnot. And it does open the door for saying like, hey, you know, if you want to send your money over there and you want to support financially, right? You know, make sure that you're supporting an organization that not only has your values and everything in mind, but is actually not getting hung up in the bureaucracy, and is getting the money directly, you know, to the people that can do it. Like, you know, I don't know all the things, but I know that that um, you know DSC donates quite a bit of money to anti-poaching efforts, and those are going right into the hands of the guys that are doing the anti-poaching. It's not going to the government to then you know, do the anti-poaching efforts, right?
1: That is exactly so. that's exactly right. Yes, sir. And and you're right. It, I, I get tickled. I get asked, and I know you do too, to be uh, involved or to donate money to different organizations. And always my first question is, is let me see a financial statement. I want to see where that money actually goes. You know, is, are there administrative costs that are pulled out? And usually those are substantially high with most every, all, well, I can almost say all the other organizations that are out there beside DSN DSC Foundation. But the money that comes in to DSC and goes out to D, from DSC and the foundation as well, too, it's sent to the people that actually get the jobs done rather than who are the overseers of, as I mentioned earlier, governmental entity kind of thing. So you know that money is going to go to the right place instead of somebody's pocket.
2: Yeah, and you know, I mean, if, if people are listening to this podcast, they're, they're probably members of DSC or, or supporters of DSC. And I just want to reiterate that, you know, it really does make a huge difference. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of went off on a tangent here on that. But, uh, <laughs> you, you know, I, I just can't... I, t- I came back home from, from my hunt. And I tell everybody, I'm like that was literally the best week of my life. Yes, sir. It, re- it reset everything. It made me more focused. Um, it made me grateful to be to be on this planet because it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful country. It has so much potential. And I mean, the hunting aside, just the 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 countryside is it's phenomenal, and and it's if you've been to Africa, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you're probably picturing it in your mind right there. <laughs> <time. laughs> yes, <Yeah, know>? sir. <laughs> and if you haven't been to Africa, man, I mean, you can you can go to Africa for less than the cost of hunting a white tail deer in Texas. On some places, you know, uh, it's pretty pretty phenomenal how how you know i mean it's money but it's not it's not like what you think you don't have to be a millionaire to do it
1: you know, you really don't, and you're you're right. It is relatively economical to go, and and there are all kinds of ways to get there. Of course, you know, I'm talking about uh, to to go in terms of hunting. There's so many different hunting opportunities, particularly in in southern Africa. When you get right down to it, South Africa and Namibia. To me, both of those. I spent a lot of time in Namibia and loved it, and a fair amount of time in South Africa. And you're right. You can go there, and and including the airfare and what you pay the outfitter or the PH. In, in your trophy fees and still not spend as much as what you would particularly for a really good whitetail lease in South Texas or in Texas or a mule deer hunt somewhere which have gotten to be ridiculously expensive. You could probably, I can go to Africa probably three times for what I would have to pay to try to go find me a really good mule deer hunt where I can have an opportunity to shoot, you know, something that's above 180 and if that was what I was after. So think about all the adventure that you can have going to Africa and learning and learning about the culture, the animals, the vegetation, the habitat and the people, all that, again, plays very strongly into into going on safari, if you will.
2: Yeah. And, you know, obviously, this was my first time and there's there's, you know, a ton of people that are far more experienced in African hunting than me, of course. Um, but my my hunt specifically was just, you know, a, a normal Plains game hunt. You know, I think I I got seven animals Um, a a blue wildebeest, a golden wildebeest, an impala, a white blessed buck, a uh, blessed buck, zebra, and then we went night jackal hunting, which was, you know, a lot of fun. Oh, yes. Um, So. You know, it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything crazy, and none of that was like super, super big ticket items. You know, like you would think of. Um, and, but you know, it was it was freaking phenomenal. I just can't, I can't, I can't describe it. Like I said, but what I did do is I brought my cameraman in tow. And so Perfect. we actually have an article and a video up, um, on international Sportsman um, on our website. And if you just search on YouTube for international sportsmen, the videos up there. Um, and I just want to share with you because this video, I, I, show the good and the bad of my shots man and right I'll I'll tell you what happened is we went over there we zeroed the gun you know checked it from from the travel and whatnot got everything zeroed um and then shot a couple animals and my scope came loose. Oh no my scope Came loose. I don't know what happened. I I don't know how bouncing around on those dirt roads or whatnot. But I went and um, uh, we shot at a zebra, and this is all in the video. I, I'm not hiding anything. You know, we shot the zebra, and it hit way way low. And we spent a day tracking that zebra um, to finally to finally get it and. You know, when we did that, that's when I realized, okay, these trackers
1: over here. (laughs) I'm laughing. Oh, my God. You're right. (laughs) They 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 are phenomenal, but
2: but they have some sort of sixth sense. You know, that allows them to to pick up things. You know, they'll just see this twig and I'll be like, oh, he went this way. What? <laughs> you know, so it, it's it, it it made for it made for an interesting hunt. And of course, I felt bad wounding an animal.
1: Yeah, for um, that.
2: but it's hunting. It you know, is. it's real. And um, I was telling my buddies, I was like, you know, in this video, I show everything and uh, show, show the, you know, show the misses and the, you know, the the stuff because my scope got messed up. I'm like, you know, that's actual hunting and anybody that thinks that they haven't had a, a bad shot on analyst says that, that they've never had a bad shot. They're either lying or they haven't hunted enough.
1: <laughs> That's exactly right. It, it does happen. You, you always try to put that animal down as quickly and humanely as possible with the first shot, and then with the second follow-up shot if if you can as well too. But you know those things do happen, and sometimes even a perfect shot, what appears to be a perfect shot, you can have a bullet performance that does something a little bit differently maybe than what it's supposed to, and uh, you know then next thing you've got a tracking job on you, and but those trackers, as you mentioned, are absolutely phenomenal. I've hunted them with them when we were just out tracking like buffalo or kudu or, you know, you name the species that we got after and we'd go across areas where there was really, really hard ground where you could not hardly see anything and yet there'd be a leaf, or a leaf turned over or a blade of grass that was bent and those guys would pick up on that and I'd go I'd finally I'd ask them, i what in the world are you looking at? You know, and they'd turn around to them and they'd show me. They were very great and you know, and patient with me in that respect. And they show me a, a leaf that had been turned over, or as I mentioned, a, a blade of grass that was stepped on, and it pointed the direction that the animal was going. It was just amazing, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Yeah, and you know, I, I don't, I'm sure you probably experienced this or heard this, but uh, one of the trackers that um, was with us he had been on this particular um area for 40 years he grew up there you know um so they know the areas too right and they know when something's out of place because that's that's where they live right it's like going into your backyard and you see something out of place you're like huh you know you they know
1: they do they do it's
2: it was it was really phenomenal but you know if y'all want to if y'all want to go over there to YouTube or or to my site and um, check out that video, Um, you know, I kind of, I went through my whole thing, document my whole experience about the first trip to Africa and um, the, the highs and the lows (laughs) and um, you know uh, have that there for, for everybody to take a look at. Um, And I just, you know, I can't say enough good things obviously about, about my outfitter and about just the experience, um, in general. But, you know, for me, I mean, there were a few things that, that I would recommend to, to anybody. And that's obviously, you know, do your research, um, find, find a reputable outfitter. And and of course, again, you know, everybody's gonna have their own recommendation for their outfitters, but D S C is a great place to start if you're if they're a member of D S C or, you know, they're at the convention or whatnot. I mean, that's obviously a great spot to, to start looking, right?
1: It really is. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll interrupt you for just saying, because every one of those PHs, any hunting operation, every one of those people are, are there, and as an exhibitor, they've been vetted. And so, uh, yeah, things can go you know can go wrong, but uh, that's probably the best source. And if you can come to the convention in this this coming year, it's in January 11th through the 14th there at the K Bailey Hutchison Center in Dallas, you can actually sit down with a those pHs, or you can sit down with the outfitter that you're going to be, you know, might want to be hunting with, and a lot of times you can learn a whole lot just sitting there and visiting with them and looking at the photographs and finding out who else has hunted, and then with those particular individuals, and there's a pretty good chance that some of those individuals who have hunted with that pH or outfitter are probably there at the convention as well, too, so you can talk to them and find out what their impressions were of hunting with those particular people.
2: Exactly. And that's, you know, that just gives you peace of mind, right? Because it's kind of a black box until you go over there for the first time. You know, you really don't know what you're getting into.
1: No, you don't. I'm I'm kind of halfway put you on the spot. two, Two questions. Number one, what was your favorite thing about this safari, your first one?
2: Really, my favorite thing about it was what I kind of touched on earlier was that the outfitter Romano, he made me stop, slow down and appreciate what we had just done rather than making it transactional. Right. Right. Um, Because, and that's really what stuck with me more than anything is that, you know, in my hunting here in the U.S. I'm just so transactional that I lose sight Mm -hmm. of how blessed I am to be able to do this. Right. Um, and Romano really reminded me, Hey, look, buddy, you just, you just put the stock on this animal and you just, you know, you just did this right. You need to stop and like, enjoy the moment. Yes, sir. Right. You know, and that's, that that to me was really just what changed, what changed things for me, and what what really um, resonated and made it the best week of my life.
1: Oh my goodness! Now the second question: whether you took the animal or whether you just saw the animal, what was your favorite animal that you saw when you in Africa? <laughs> or is, so, there, is there one? <laughs> There's so many that. Oh, I, I know. <laughs>
2: um so i didn't take it but we saw it multiple times um we saw a, a few of them and <laughs> romano made fun of me because i kept mispronouncing it with my texas accent here so i'm gonna i'm gonna do my best but miala
1: yes um oh my goodness right <laughs>
2: so that was probably uh, my favorite animal, and it's very, very high on the top of my list, uh, for next time because the, I just think they're oh very, very, very cool looking. Um, and I think it's interesting too, uh, how the females are so much smaller than the, mm-hmm. the males. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was just, that was just very, very odd. Um, you know, if anybody looks them up and you'll see what I'm talking about, you're like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs>
1: so, Look like two totally different animals, actually.
2: Yeah, they are. And, and it's funny because, like, they're actually, like, one is in the the small category and one's in the medium category, <laughs> right? So it's... You're sad. right. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, Yala. I think that's
1: right. (laughs) Yeah, they are unbelievable. To me, they've got to rank up there very high, if not being the most gorgeous and handsome and prettiest or whatever term you want to use of the antelope in all of Africa. They, If if they're not number one, they're at least number two or three at the very lowest end of things. They're phenomenal. And they are fun to hunt. And of course, as you found out too, I'm sure everything there that you take is good to eat as well too. Oh yeah,
2: I didn't have, I didn't have anything. I mean, we, we actually ate, um, a bit of, of everything that we shot Perfect. and except for the tackles, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was all great. I mean, I think my favorite, we had the, um, the wildebeest backstrap or tenderloins, whatever you want to call right. them, you know, um, and I think that was, that was probably, probably my favorite. Um, I did eat the Impala, you know, I was like, eh, it's kind of just like regular whitetail yeah, venison. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't crazy. It was good. Don't get me wrong. Right. But it wasn't like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, so, but the food, I mean, you know, everybody talks about, everybody talks about the food and, <laughs> you know, obviously it didn't, didn't disappoint there. So the, the 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 food and the eating eating the animals that you shot, you know, while you're over there, I mean, it's just it's icing
1: on the cake, you know. Yeah, really is. That's one of the things I've enjoyed, and over the years, <coughs> pardon me, over the years, I had an opportunity to spend a fair amount of time in Namibia with uh, Fred Burchell or Fred Burchell, and <coughs> Fred was such a phenomenal naturalist in in so many different ways, but a lot of the European museum collectors would come to hunt with him and they had special permits for all kinds of birds and reptiles and amphibians and of course mammals and and whatever. And one of the things that I appreciated about being there with Fred is he always made the boys bring in some of the meat and over the course of about three or four different trips there with him, we tried all kinds of different wild game uh, from the small critters you can imagine, you know, up over its course to, you know, toward buffalo or or some of the bigger antelope as well, too, including zebra. And and one of the things that amazed me was how good the flavor was on all those. Now, some of those uh, little weird things that we ate, yeah, I'm glad I ate them. I'm not sure that I'd want to say, well, I'm going to have them again numerous times in the future, but uh, you know, looking back, uh, some of the little critters we ate, it was kind of interesting to at least say, well, I've eaten the Whatever the case is, I'm not going to mention some of the bird rambles that we did eat. <laughs> yeah,
2: some, some, some one-eyed newt or something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> experience the taste. <laughs> um, so, so that's interesting. Does does. Does he have a
1: zebra named after him? Well, it is—it's his family. You know, the Birchell family has been there forever, and there's several birds that are named after uh, the Birchell family as well. Too, unfortunately, Fred passed away about three years now ago. Now, but I spent numerous times over there with him, just he and his wife Laura, and we just get in a vehicle and uh, a couple of cans of uh, or fifty-five gallon drums of, of diesel and a couple of tents and some food and a bunch of water and just take off across country he knew everybody in in that moat all over Namibia and we just kind of roam around and and uh, spend I spend like two weeks there with him just you know sometimes we hunted sometimes we didn't but uh, I always ended up maybe the last afternoon there time or two I was there where the last afternoon of my time there in Africa I'd shoot one shoot something and then other times I shot numerous animals as well too so but it was just such a great learning experience in terms of the vegetation in terms of the terrain in terms of the geography the animals and the, the cultures that were there. And, and, and pretty much all of them, of course, you know, revolved around hunting as well too, in terms of the culture. So it was just a great experience.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it just, it makes me think about all the different ways that, that we're similar and different because you go over there and it's, you know, you, you see that, you know, I've hunted in Europe and I've hunted uh, in Africa now. And, um, you know, wherever I go, whenever I'm around hunters, it's we have more in common, I think, than we do differences, you know. Without
1: a doubt.
2: And we have we have different ways of of doing things and different religious beliefs and this or that, you know. But overall, you know, I think it it's really it really is this this bond that crosses all these cultural lines and you understand where the other person is coming from because you have a lot of the same shared experiences, whether you're hunting a whitetail in Texas, um, you know, or, or wildebeest in South Africa, you can relate to each other with, you know, the animal and the hunt and the experience and the ups and the downs and the adrenaline and, you know, the respect for the animals. And that's, Really, truly, that's why I keep hunting is because, you know, it helps me, it helps keep me grounded and recognize that, hey, for everything going on in the world, you know, we've we've got more in common than we do, than we do um, uh, differences. So it's just... It's a grounding experience for me, and I'm not trying to get too philosophical here, but you know, it really does. It really does bring it all back home.
1: You know what? It really does. Uh, Tim Fallon and I hunted in Burkina Faso with a, a Ph and his staff. Uh, the Ph spoke not a word of English. And of course, the staff did not speak a word of English. They, they spoke. They spoke French very fluently, and and I think the only two terms that well, we may have been the only term that. that that Tim and I knew kind of thing going into all that, and yet it amazed me how well we communicated and got along. Yet never really speaking the same language to either one. He didn't understand any English, and we didn't stand, understand the, uh, the the French nor the local dialect, you know, of the, the guys that live there. So, but truly amazing how you communicate and 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 you, you knew what the other guy was thinking, you know, and he knew what you were thinking, particularly when you were out hunting or when you were sitting around camp a little bit. Yeah. And, you know,
2: again, if you haven't been to Africa, it's something you just, just, just don't put it off. Just go do it. Seriously. Because, you know, once you do it, even if you don't go back, it's an experience that I think that every hunter should do at least once. Um, You'll learn so much. And... It will make you thankful for what you have here and it will, um, you know, it will, it will make you a better hunter just in general. Right. Um, you learn a tremendous amount and, you know, I've, I've traveled over the world and I know that there's different restrictions on, on firearms, for example, right. you know, in different countries. Right. Um, but man, we are, we are so lucky to be here in the United States where we can go purchase a firearm because man, they're waiting, they're going through all these permits and everything and they're waiting a year just to purchase a firearm for hunting. Yes, sir. You know? Um, and you know, you think about that and you're like, okay, wow. Yeah. I should, I should really be thankful for the freedoms and the things that I have, uh, where I'm at. Right. Um, you know, it's just again, it brings it all back home. But, um, man, I, I don't, I don't know what to say other than you just, just go do it and don't wait. You know, don't don't wait until till you're you're too you're too far gone to enjoy it. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> I, and I, t- I totally agree. I've, I've I've been fortunate. I've been numerous times. And I you know, there's always I want to go back. I want to go back. I want to switch horses with you a little bit. You started uh, internationalsportsman.com dot some time ago, and it is an absolutely fabulous site. I know that you've been working really hard on a whole diff- lot of different projects, and you mentioned. The fact that the uh, the video from your hunt is there as well too. What are some of the other things that you got planned, and, and how how can people learn more about it? Yeah, thanks,
2: Larry. Well, um, of course, uh, Mister Larry Weissoon writes for me, so that's an <laughs> honor. It's my honor. He contributes articles. <laughs> so he contributes articles to InternationalSportsman.com. So that's InternationalSportsman.com. Um, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. So we cover hunting, firearms, archery, and fishing, a variety of topics uh, from news, politics, um, stories, how-tos, reviews. Um, some of the things that that we've done is I actually uh, went – hunting uh, alligators down in Florida with a six-inch double-barrel black powder shotgun (laughs) laid on the bank called called an alligator about three feet from my face oh my (laughs) goodness (laughs) that's that's on video too if you want to check that out um so we do reviews of different products um and we have we have hunting videos and different things up um and a variety of writers And recently, what I just started was International Sportsman Endorsed Outfitters. Perfect. So um, I have Africa and Scotland currently on there. Um, So if you're interested in a hunt in Africa or Scotland, um, you can visit us, email me, give me a call, learn more about those trips we'll be adding more of those in the future. And of course we'll have videos and articles to accompany each of those outfitters. Um, and of course they're part of DSC. Yes, sir. Um, so, so yeah, that's what, that's what we've got going on. So I like to tell people, I'm like, you know, international sportsman is kind of the, um, the espn.com but for the outdoors
1: <laughs> love it and you're so, right <laughs> yep you're exactly hunting, right go ahead I'm sorry hunting,
2: firearm, hunting firearms um, archery and fishing so there you go
1: that pretty much covers it <laughs> Yep. A few days ago, I, I think I put you in touch, or and put he in touch with you, Doctor Mike Arnold, who has uh, become a very dear friend, and who does he wrote the book uh, "Bringing Back the Lions" about Todd and Eleven, and all the work that has been done there. And then, of course, he is now working on another book about the hunting cultures across the world. And I, I think Mike might start doing some things for you as well. Too, and he is a fabulous writer on top of everything else, but just a great, great person and very, very novel. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that he may be doing some things for you there.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, we're, we're going down that path for sure. Yeah. He is a phenomenal writer. I have visited his website multiple times uh, and read his articles. Um, and I'm, I mean, he's just a fountain of oh my gosh. Uh, knowledge. Um, much like yourself, you know, he has a ton of experience all, all over. So, Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, but that's, that's kind of what you can expect and what you can see, um, on the site, you know, a variety of different opinions and a variety of different, different people writing and talking and sharing their experiences. And if I could just say this, if anybody wants to share a hunting story or anything like that, they can reach out, contact me and, and we'll put it up on the site.
1: Oh, fantastic. How did they get in touch with you, Jeremy?
2: So they can... Email me at Jeremy J E R E M Y at internationalsportsman dot
1: com. Perfect, perfect. We'll and, make sure uh, people know about that. Hear your stories. We'd love to hear your stories. I think that is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, uh, The the site is out of this world, guys. If y'all have not been there yet, I would strongly advise you to go there. And I think you'll be overwhelmingly pleased to see what kind of thing Jeremy's put together with this particular uh, international sportsman.com. So run by there and run to it, I guess I should say. And I think you're going to be really surprised in terms of a really good way about what all the information that's there. Jeremy, tell me a little bit more. That, that's the best way. And if you, you're on Facebook. You're also, uh, you mentioned YouTube. You mind giving those uh, sources again as to how to end the website one more time?
2: Absolutely. Yes. So, yeah, on Facebook, you can just search International Sportsman. And then the same thing on YouTube, just International Sportsman. There's there's only one of us. Um, and then it's International Sportsman, S-P-O-R-T-S-M-A-N, .com.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with before we have to kind of part our ways today?
2: Well, no, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody at the uh, DSC convention in January. I'm going to be there the whole time, so if y'all want to reach out to me, feel free to reach out. Maybe we can swap some stories and talk about what kind of hunts we have coming up.
1: That's such a great place, and I, you and I were both, to, uh, as I recall just at the moment, you and I were both at the uh, DSC New Mexico chapter uh, event, and I know that you're doing some of those as well, too, and just want to remind people folks there are several chapters scattered across the US right now and uh, Bruce Barowski who handles the chapters has just added i think at least two more and i think he's telling me that there's told me that there's another five or six if not more chapters that'll come online very very quickly and and if, if to me those chapters are phenomenal they do such a great job and the thing about it is uh, the, the top fundraiser oh the the, uh, the chapter gets to keep 75% of the dollars that they make, 20% go to the DSC Foundation, but they can also tell the DSC Foundation where that money goes. And uh, 5% is just to help pay for some of Bruce's traveling expenses and some of the many, many, many things that he is. and his lovely wife, Lisa, who does just a fabulous job with those chapters as well. But you can learn more about those chapters by going to the DSC website, which is B-I-G-G-A-M-E.org. RG and click on the chapters and you can find a chapter that's close to you and you can get involved there as well too as as well as becoming a member of uh, DSC so Jeremy I just want to tell you what a great pleasure and honor it is to to, number one to be able to write for your website but also to have you as a friend and call you a friend and how much I truly appreciate everything that you do for wildlife conservation not only here what you're working on in North America but now truly internationally as well too.
2: Yeah, Larry and really, you know, I have to say the pleasure is is mine because I always enjoy my time talking with you, and it's always great to be around friends and and share and swap stories. And so, thank you so much for having me on.
1: Absolutely, we'll see everybody at the DSC convention January 11th through 14th there at the K Bailey Hutchins Center in Dallas, Texas. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today, and ladies and gentlemen, we look forward to having you right back here next week. DSC's campfires has also been brought to you by the Crown Bar in Lagrange. Texas. Habit. Our gear, your adventure. The Texas Wildlife Association. Double Nickel Taxidermy. Burn Brothers Game Calls and H3 Whitetail Solutions. to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right
2: here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the
0: destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop, and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta and Venice to the Cajun Prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.